In case you're wondering, we did flip-flop the passages. We're going back a little bit uh, this week. And uh, one other announcement I don't think Phil mentioned was, uh, as many of you know, we're, uh, we have a parsonage that we rent out, uh, and we've been updating that parsonage. Um, and so this is kind of the final week to update it. So if you're able to help us with painting, uh, we'll be uh, there on Wednesday um, at 6 o'clock to do some painting. If you're able to join us for that, um, that, would be, that would be awesome. Mark chapter 9, starting at verse 1. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. After six days, Jesus took him with him, Peter and James and John, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them not to tell, to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this raising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you, Elijah has come. And they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. Well, our brains are wired in such a way uh, that weed out information that's not helpful or distracting. Some of us are better at that than others. Some of us are beginning that process right now, just going to sleep. But some of us really are, are better than that at others. Some people can go into a coffee shop and there can be music playing, people talking, lots of commotion happening, and you can just be in the corner just focused on a book and just kind of totally zoning everything else out. But in order to kind of uh, be awoken from that kind of stupor, we need something, a special word or something interesting to happen that kind of wakes us up, that gets our attention. Some of us, maybe we're watching TV and uh, so focused on the TV that our spouse is talking to us, we have no idea that anyone is talking because we're so riveted in on the TV. A couple weeks ago, I was at a party and I was sleeping on the couch at this party. There's kids uh, screaming, running around, they're playing video games, doing all this stuff. And I'm just there sleeping, just in my own little world. And then somebody says, Matthew. And it turns out they weren't even talking to me. They were just saying, telling somebody else that I was sleeping. But as soon as I heard that, I woke up right away. If we're sleeping or if we're focused on something, sometimes we need a kind of orienting word or something spectacular to happen that kind of wakes us up out of our stupor. I think that's kind of what happens in this passage. Jesus' disciples have come to the realization that Jesus is the Son of God, but they're interpreting Jesus through their own grid still. They still don't understand fully what Jesus is going to do and who Jesus is. And so they need something to happen that's going to kind of wake them out of their stupor and focus them on what's important. 
So this is an interesting passage, this passage uh, describing the transfiguration. has been interpreted various ways. But I think the simple intent of this passage and the intent of this episode is that Jesus would wake his disciples up and that he would focus them on what's important. And ultimately that they would be focused upon him. So Jesus brings his inner disciples up the mountain, Peter, James, and John. And the text says that he was transfigured before them. His eyes or his, his clothing became white, intensely white, so white as no one on earth could bleach them. And Jesus was talking to Moses and Elijah as he's on this mountain. We don't know for sure why he's talking to Moses and Elijah, but perhaps these are representatives of the two kind of distinctions in the Old Testament. Uh, the ancient Jews saw two distinctions in the Old Testament. They saw the law of Moses and then the prophets. And so Moses represents the law, and Elijah here represents the prophets. The ever-graceful Peter sees what's going on here, and he says, this is a good thing. It's good that we're here. So let's build some tents. We'll build a tent for you and for Moses and for Elijah. So let's build these tents, and you guys can hang out here. It's probably trying to keep them there. But what... Peter is doing here is he's equating Jesus with these other Old Testament prophets. He's equating him with Elijah and with Moses. He's just another person on the rung of God's story. This story that we're looking at today has a lot of similarities to some Old Testament stories, specifically to the story of Moses. Moses is given the law in Exodus chapter 34. And it says, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone. And they were afraid to come near him. Likewise, Elijah met with God on the same mountain many years later when he was fleeing from Jezebel. And at that time, God spoke to him in a still, small voice and told him to go and anoint kings and anoint a prophet. So there's some parallels in these stories and the story of the transfiguration. First, in all of these stories, there's a mountain. In all of these stories, the characters go up to meet with God on this mountain. In all of these stories, the characters receive a special message from God. In the case of Moses, similar to this story, Moses' face shines when he meets with God. But there's a big difference between these different stories. There's some key differences. The first and biggest difference is the message that they receive. Moses receives the Ten Commandments and the Law. Elijah receives further instructions for his ministry. The disciples see a cloud overshadowing Jesus. And the voice says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. See what happens with Moses as he receives the law, he receives the Ten Commandments. And God says, do these things and you will live. He tells Elijah, do these things to be my prophet. But it's simplified with Jesus. The message is greatly simplified. It's not do these things and you will live. Not do these things that are written on stone. Rather, it's follow Jesus. Listen to Jesus and you will live. He's my pride and joy. And only as you know Him will you find a relationship with me. There's also another difference. Jesus shines white with the glory of God. 
He doesn't shine white reflecting the glory of God because he's met with God. He shines with the glory of God because he is God. Moses simply reflects the glory of God. Jesus radiates the glory of God from the inside out. And I think this passage also implies something else. I think it applies that the one who Moses talked to, the one who Elijah talked to on the mountain hundreds of years before, was none other than Jesus himself. See, we think of Jesus as coming, just coming to the earth as a baby and living a, you know, a short life. But Jesus existed from all eternity past, one with the Father, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so I think what this is implying is that Jesus was the one who talked to Moses and talked to Elijah when they were on Mount Sinai. And in this scene, we get a glimpse of the glory of God. These three disciples that go up there, they see a, get, get a glimpse of what God is like. They see Jesus in all of His glory. They see Elijah and Moses with them talking about the Word of God. I think the point that we can learn from this passage is that the greatness of who Jesus is demands that we listen to Him. The greatness of who Jesus is demands that we listen to Him. Imagine that somebody you really look up to were to come to, I hope, to speak and to share their story. Maybe it's a movie star or a a baseball player, football player. Maybe it's a famous pastor. They were come to share their story at the church. Now if that were... To happen, would you be playing on your phone? Would you be talking to your neighbor? Would you be doodling on a, your bulletin? You'd probably be hanging on, on every word that they had to say. I mean, they could be talking about the most boring thing in the world. They could be talking about the anatomy of dog poop, and you would be all excited about listening, riveted right in on what they were about to say. It's because of who they were, who they are, what they've accomplished. You have a respect for them. And when we respect somebody, when somebody is really great, it demands that we listen to them. They've accomplished great things and the thought that they would come to speak to us can be overwhelming. In a similar way, Jesus is not just another figure in the long line of prophets. He's not just another chapter in God's story. He is the story. He's not just one who speaks on behalf of God. He is God Himself, existing from all eternity past. Wearing garments that are so white and so radiant that are beyond anything that we can see in this world. He's the one who is before all things, as Paul said. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. That's who Jesus is. And His glory is displayed for the disciples here in this passage, in the transfiguration, but it's also displayed for us in the cross and resurrection. See, throughout Scripture, there is a kind of a tension between the justice of God and the mercy of God. In the very chapter where God speaks to Moses in Exodus chapter 34, He also speaks something else to Moses. He says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So we have that tension. It says that God is merciful, that God forgives, but on the other hand, it says that God will not hold the guilty, uh, that, that He will judge the guilty. I mean, it seems like there's a tension, and the prophets kind of hold that tension together, but then we see in the cross that tension resolved. As Paul says that God is the just and the justifier of those who believe in Jesus. That He can be just, that sin can be judged in Jesus, but He also can be the justifier, that He can forgive all those who trust in Him. And so we see in the cross how God brings together those two things. And God makes all things new. So when we see the glory of God, it demands that we listen to Jesus. If Jesus is who He says He is, the Son of God who's come to the earth to make us new, to save us from our sins, it demands that we listen to Him. We must not try to fit Him into a box. We must not try to fit Him into our own perceptions, but we must listen to Him for all He has to say. But sometimes it's hard to listen. Sometimes it's easier to speak. and It's easier to kind of put our own perceptions on it. One day there was an old man who was walking casually down a country road with his dog and his mule. And suddenly a speeding pickup truck careened around the corner, driving way too fast, knocked the man and his mule and his dog into the ditch. The old man decided to sue the driver of the truck. And so they went to court and the old man was on the stand and the counsel for the defense cross-examined the man and asked him a simple question. He said, I want you to answer yes or no to the following question. Did you or did you not say just after the accident that you were perfectly fine? The man said, well, me and my dog and my mule were walking down the road. Wait, hold on a second. I just asked you a simple question. Now tell me either yes or no. Did you not say right after the accident that you were perfectly fine? Well, me and my dog and my mule were walking down the road and uh, the defense attorney appealed to the judge. Your honor, he's not answering the question. Would you please insist that he answer the question? The judge said, well, he obviously wants to tell us something. Why don't we just let him share his, what he has to say? So the man said, well, me and my dog and my mule were walking along the road and this truck came out of nowhere around the corner too fast and knocked us all into the ditch. The driver stopped. He got out of his truck. He saw that my dog was badly injured. And then he went back to his truck, got his rifle, and he shot it. Then he saw that my mule had broken his leg, so he shot it. Then he said to me, how are you? And I said, I'm okay. I'm just perfectly fine. <laughs> Sometimes listening to the whole story makes a big difference. But sometimes we don't listen to all that God says in His Word. Sometimes we take our own interpretations, our own cultural understandings, and we kind of superimpose them on what God has says. So we find something that's maybe challenging, something we don't like in God's Word, and then we say, well, surely He couldn't have meant that. And so we reinterpret it to make it easier to fit our own agenda. And that's why the Bible study that we're doing is so important about reading Scripture in context. 
Not reading it to find what we would like to find. Not reading it to support our own suppositions. But reading it to hear what God has to say. And that's what we're going to do in the Bible study. Is looking how, how to read Scripture correctly in context so that we're listening to Jesus. And not simply putting our own interpretations on it. But then there's another element of the story that's pretty interesting. After the story, as they're coming down from the mountain, the disciples are wondering what Jesus, what all this means. And Jesus tells them that they shouldn't tell anybody what happens until after he rises from the dead. And they say, doesn't Elijah have to come first before, uh, before the Messiah comes? And Jesus responds, says, essentially that's true. Elijah has come and John the Baptist and he was put to, get, put to death. And then Jesus reminds them that it says in the scriptures that the Messiah should suffer and die. So as he's coming down from the mountain, he's in in essence explaining how the scriptures apply to him. And we see that again a little bit later after Jesus rises from the dead and some of his other disciples are on the road to Emmaus. And then they're kind of perplexed about what has happened. And it says in Luke 24 that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So he interprets to them in the scriptures everything in Moses and the prophets that related to himself. The two things that we see in this passage, Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, Jesus interprets and he just interprets how they apply to himself. See, Jesus is the one who makes sense of the law. He makes sense of the prophets. He's, in short, the one who makes sense of God's word. He's the interpretive key to the entire Bible. Finally, there's one more element of the story. After God speaks from the cloud and he says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Everyone else disappears. And it's only Jesus that is left. It's only Jesus that is left. The law had a purpose. The prophets had a purpose. But all of those things were pointing towards Jesus. He's the goal of all of the scriptures. It's not just about following a bunch of rules. It's not just about Israel and its history. Everything in the Bible is pointing forward to Jesus. He's the culmination of all of the scriptures. Brian Chappelle, uh, author, writes it this way. What Jesus verbally said on the road to Emmaus, he visually displayed on the Mount of Transfiguration. When the archetypal representatives of the Old Testament law and the, and the prophets, Moses and Elijah, appeared with Jesus near the culmination of his earthly ministry, they testified that all preceding scripture directs the believer's gaze to this one. Thus, the testimony of, Jesus, of scripture encircles Jesus. The law and the prophets and the apostles' ministry that follows the work of the cross make Jesus their center. Prophets, apostles, and the Savior testify That all scripture ultimately focuses on the Redeemer. The scriptures are all about Jesus. And the greatness of who Jesus is demands that we listen to him. Police academies are known to involve rigorous training, physical and mental tests. To ensure that their recruits are ready to face the challenges of the field. But there's a recent Facebook video about a particular academy, Indiana Academy. And it showed a kind of a less intimidating way of testing cadets' uh, fitness for duty. 
The challenge was for recruits to stay at attention and not break their intent focus in the midst of a particularly strong distraction, a rubber chicken. The Facebook video shows a series of tough-faced young men and women who are one by one tested by the abrupt and awkward noise of a rubber chicken being squeezed next to their ear or in front of their face. Some pass the test and are able to stare straight ahead without blinking, while a good number of others can't help themselves and crack a smile or even laugh, earning them a round of push-ups. The question before us today is, what are we going to focus on? Who are we going to focus on? Who are we going to listen to? Are we going to focus on the things that are in front of us, the things of this world? Or are we going to listen intently to the one who's worthy of all of our honor, worthy of all glory? God says of Jesus, this is my beloved son. He's my chosen one. He's the one in whom I delight. Listen to him. The greatness of who Jesus is demands that we listen to him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. And in that, you displayed your glory and power. We thank you that you are a good shepherd who will never lead us astray. We thank you that when we call to you, you'll answer us. And when we listen to you, you'll never lead us astray. God, I pray that we would be people who listen to you intently. That as we read the Scriptures and search the Scriptures, we would meet you in the Scriptures. Not meeting our own notions or interpretations, but that we would look at your Word ready to hear from you. Knowing that in you is the source of life. God, I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes, open our ears, so we can see the glory of who you are, so that we might listen intently to what you have to say to us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.